Good morning, everybody. My name is John Dingfelder, and we are obviously missing a very important voice here at Down and Dirty on WMNF.org in Tampa, 88.5. Mario Nunez uh, came down with a flu or a sore throat or something bad. So, Mario, I know you're listening, brother, and we miss you. I miss you. Uh, I'm lost without you. Uh, and also, Jason Marlowe, our board operator, uh, is uh, traveling. I think he just celebrated an anniversary with his wife, Mazel Tov, Jason. And uh, so here we are solo, but I've got some great guests today and a great topic, and we appreciate you joining us. So let's just jump right into it. Um, like I said, we are down and dirty here in Tampa Bay on 88.5 WMNF. And we try and get down and dirty, down and dirty on important issues. And I don't mean dirty by the terms of like fight dirty, but just dirty, uh, down and dirty with getting to the nitty gritty of information. I also want to give a shout out to our assistant producer, Lynn Marvin Dingfelder, a beautiful bride. And uh, she'll be back in a couple of weeks. So, so recent tragic events in Israel and the Gaza Strip are obviously impacting the entire world, but they're impacting us here in the Tampa Bay area, either directly with people who have family, friends in the area, or indirectly just because we are caring human beings. And in response today here at Down and Dirty, we've invited two very quality folks who've been deeply involved in these issues for years, uh, an Arab-American, Ahmed Badir. Welcome, Ahmed. Thank you. And a Jewish-American, Jonathan Ellis. Uh, John, welcome. Thank you. And these are two local guys who, you know, view the same set of facts, you know, just like, like law. Jonathan's an attorney. Uh, just like law, you know, you see the same set of facts, but if you're on two opposite sides of the issue, you, you view things from very different perspectives. So, gentlemen, welcome to the studio today. Uh, Ahmed, uh, you have your show here uh, uh, weekly. Thursdays at 12, True Talk. It's actually been around for 20 years. I think that's so how I, we first met, I think. Yeah, I have a little bit of a home turf advantage <laughs> of being in the familiar place. Well, he but, knows where the restroom is anyway. Right, so. exactly. But other than that, I've never been on the down and dirty before, but I'm ready. And Jonathan, uh, you knew where the station was, so you've obviously been now, here. I've before. been here a number of times for different shows and uh, always pleased to be on. All right, well, we're pleased to have you I, I might sound with a little levity in my voice, but but uh, because I'm I'm glad to have these guys here. But uh, obviously, it's a serious issue. Before we get started, I wanted to give a disclaimer: the comments that you'll hear today on Down and Dirty are not necessarily John Dingfelder or Mario Nunez's opinions, nor are they the opinions of this station WMNF. Um, just wanted to throw that in. And uh, in regard to phone calls, Mario and I love phone calls. Uh, typically. Uh, we're not going to take calls during this discussion, probably for the next 40 minutes or so. But um, if we have a little bit of time afterwards at the end, uh, we'll see if we can take a couple of calls. Um, gents, uh, uh, here, here's the format. Um, you know, I, I wish we had a couple hours because there's definitely a couple hours we could sit and talk about this. For sure. But, but we don't. We've got about 45 minutes, less than an hour. So, uh, so here are the guidelines that I came up with, um, and I'm springing them on you right now. So I'm going to try and do this in a lightning round format, and um, I'm, <laughs> I'm playing, uh, I've got a lot of hats on today, but I'm going to try and cut you off after about two or three minutes for each of your responses. I won't be too tough on that, but 
you know, we, nobody wants to hear anybody droning on for five or ten minutes on the same same topic. It's like a city council meeting. Oh my God! Thank you. I'm a, <laughs> no, on city council, you know, we're we're elected to drone you, on. You, you know? were there, weren't you? <laughs> ten years on city council. Okay, yeah, and you kept cutting people off. You're, yeah, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> If we cut, we cut you off. It's a soft cut because sometimes you just have to finish your comment or making your point. Absolutely. But anyway, on on some of these questions, you'll have an opportunity for a one minute rebuttal um, in regard to whatever the the other person said that you don't agree with. And of course, please have a civil conversation. Don't interrupt or talk over each other. You guys will be fine in that regard. I'm going to alternate in regard to who starts each question so you don't feel like I'm treating... One of you better than the other, and I'll try not to interrupt you unless I think you're not answering the question that was asked. Uh-oh. A little dot, you know, I've, I've heard people do that. Even politi- even politicians, can you imagine? Yeah. So, um, let's go ahead and get started. Oh, here we go. This is, this is the easiest question of the day. Um, we're going to introduce ourselves. Ahmed, uh, go ahead and, and introduce yourself. Uh, tell us what your involvement has been with your respective uh, communities and how you got here today. 20, 20 years of, at least 20 years of activism. Yeah, well... Um, you still got a nice head of, of hair, though, so... Thank you. Thank you for that. Both of you do. Even though it's on the radio, but uh, yes. Um, you know, I, I'm an Arab-American, Egyptian, born in Egypt, came uh, to the United States uh, when I was... Um, nine years old, immigrated here as a young person. I actually just, my uh, involvement in activism and politics started after 9-11. I didn't like what I was seeing on television, people uh, talking about my community, about us, without us. I thought it was just so frustrating seeing all these non-Arabs, non-Muslims talking about my faith, my people, and most of the time it was just in a very dehumanizing way. And, um, you know, I found avenues to start getting involved. Uh, people were reaching out to our mosques and I started going and speaking to other church groups and just doing, you know, outreach and trying to tell people our story and who we are to try to counter some of the stereotypes that were out there. Eventually, I uh, got involved with an organization called the Council on American Islamic Relations Care. I actually started the chapter here in Tampa, which is a Muslim civil rights group. Uh, did that for a number of years until about 2008. And then um, uh, in the meantime, I actually started the show with my co-host, Samar Jarrah. What, are you, what are you doing today? Today I uh, run an organization called United Voices, which is a, a civic engagement organization. tries to get people uh, within, you know, disenfranchised individuals, especially people within the Arab and Muslim communities to, to get involved in politics and get out to vote, et cetera. Is that, is that a full-time gig for you? No, it's uh, part-time, but I also do some consulting and help organizations with public relations and and uh, fundraising and, you know, Fantastic. nonprofit type stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, welcome. Jonathan, same question. Sure. So for those who don't know who I am, it's my name's Jonathan Ellis, and I currently serve as chair of the Tampa Jewish Community Relations Council, which is the sort of the... Uh, organization within the Jewish community that works uh, on the grassroots levels, works with other communities, and handles these types of issues on behalf of the community itself. It's a board of a number of, I think, about 23 different people serve on that board. 
and we try to address those issues both internally within the Jewish community and when you wind up having issues uh, outside of the Jewish community. Israel occasionally is one of those issues of which we find within our uh, basket of items that we handle. And you've you've uh, had leadership roles in many other organizations. I've had, co- correct. I mean, I've been president of my synagogue. I've been president of the Tampa Jewish Federation. I currently serve on the uh, Jewish Community Relations, I'm sorry, the uh, Jewish uh, uh, JCPA, which is the Jewish Council of Public Affairs, and a number of different other uh, organizations. So I didn't have this question written, but it jumps out at me, is have your organizations, uh, either at the leadership role or at the membership role, gotten together to talk about these issues? I don't think we've talked specifically about this issue. You know, there are occasions because when you deal with the Muslim community and the Jewish community, you wind up other than really sort of Israel being a uh, a division point. Uh, you know, most of the issues both communities are dealing with are substantially the same. You're 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 dealing with with issues from the the far right extremists. You're dealing with issues, you know, on religious discrimination. You know, we've even wound up working on occasion with dealing with holidays at the uh, school board or or other things like that. So it's surprising how much the two communities really have in common. I mean, Jonathan Ellis and I, um, you know, worked in the past or communicated, especially when it came to the school board issues around holidays. Um, This is, you know, going back maybe more than... uh, A couple of years ago, I remember that. 15 years now, maybe. So, uh, but... Jewish Americans and Muslim Americans agree on many things. Uh, the one divisive issue is Israel. We don't agree on that uh, for the most part when it comes to, uh, I guess, the majority. But, you know, that's also changing within the Jewish community itself. They're, not all uh, Jewish uh, Americans are, it's not a monolith. They're not, they don't all have the same perspective, obviously, as you know. You're also from this community and neither is the Muslim community. So there are diverse views. But when it comes to the you know issue of the um, Israeli occupation of Palestine and stuff, uh, most people tend to be united when you know on either side. Sure. All right. Well, let's oh. jump into the the substantive questions, Jonathan. I'm going to start with you. Um, let's go back in history, you know, because I think it's important to you know to jump back to find out how we got here today, and uh, how you know how did we get in the place we are today? In other words, from your perspective, Jonathan. You know, why, why do Jews have a, a right to even be in Palestine, Israel, and don't all Palestinians have the same right? When you wind up dealing with a piece of land, I mean, a lot of times— I mean, and take us back historically. No, I mean, you can go back, you know, thousands of years. You know, I mean, there's a reason why Israel's called Israel. There's a reason why Judea is Judea. You know, if you decided, let me use that as a line of demarcation, you'd say, okay, you know, this is Jewish homeland. It's not that it's, there wasn't people in that before then. You know, you can look at the, the Bible that's giving, you know, certain rights to as like a, some kind of deed. But I don't think that really becomes the basis of, of what you're dealing with in a situation today. Other people will say if you're going to try to make a determination when a piece of property is a piece of property, you know, we need to go to 1947, not 1948 or a year where the U.N. has come out and created, in essence, or tried to create a two-site state solution. What you wind up having is you hand a piece of property or a, a land, a large, you know, small landmass when you're looking at it at a global stage that different people claim different rights to. It has massive religious significance to the Jewish community. 
it has massive significance to the Muslim community. Well, obviously, you you believe that Jews belong there, but how about how about Palestinians? Do they have a right? To be in that geographic area? Not, not only do they have a right to be in the area, they have a right to, to in essence, to, 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 to live in Israel. I mean, people forget that you have a large Muslim population living in Israel. And not only are they living in Israel, you know, you have, uh, you know, Muslims on the, you know, uh, Israeli Supreme Court. There's, uh, in, in the Knesset, there's Muslims in different forms of government. You know, Muslims have a right to buy and sell property within the state of Israel. So this idea that it can only be Jewish. I mean, and there, I think there are people that advocate for that. The answer is when you walk down the streets of Israel and you walk through the old city, you wind up seeing a number of different people of different cultures. And, and you're comfortable, you, and those are you're comfortable with that, obviously. The, Ahmed, a uh, similar question, you know, uh, the Jews, uh, obviously you feel Palestinians have a right to be in Gaza, West Bank, and Israel. I'll put words in your mouth, but but do Jews have a right to be there going back? Of course, uh, Jews have been uh, part of that land for many years. That's not the issue. Um, in fact, Muslims, Christians, and Jews have coexisted in that land historically for hundreds of um, more than a thousand years. Um, you know, a lot of times when you talk to very, uh, I guess, zealot people from that, and they say we have a biblical right. Even there's Christians who believe that, that this, you know, God promised that land to the Jewish people um, in the Bible, etc. But in fact, you know, from our perspective, God made that covenant with Abraham. Abraham is known as the father of the prophets. He's not only, he's not exclusive as a, a prophet for the Jews. He's also father of the prophet for the Muslims. Abraham, that covenant was not just exclusively with Abraham and the Jewish, you know, the tribes of Israel, the Israelites, it was also a covenant with the Muslims because Abraham actually had two sons. His first son was Ishmael and Muhammad and the Arabs came from that lineage. His second son was Isaac and Isaac uh, had Jacob and the descendants and the 12 tribes uh, of the Israelites came from uh, Jacob, who's also known, his other name is Israel. So historically, the covenant was not with Jacob. The covenant, even in the Bible, so if you follow the Bible covenant, it says he made a covenant with Abraham, he's going to make his seed prosper, and he's going to give him this land. That includes the Jews and the Muslims. So I'm glad we got a point we can agree on here. Um, that's fantastic. But but one thing, I Googled this up, and I was, re I was really surprised, and I think a lot of people will be surprised, that out of 193 countries that are in the U.N., 28 still do not recognize Israel as a legitimate state, even though it was formed almost 75 years ago. Um, Ahmed, do you, that might be that, do you recognize personally or your organization Israel as a legitimate nation? And if not, why not? Um, to answer that question, Israel uh, is a recognized state by the United Nations. Guess who does, who does not exist? Palestine. Out of the 193 countries or all the nations in the United Nations, Palestine does not exist today at all. So this question that's always... But, that, but there are 28 countries that personally do not recognize those, Israel uh, out, of, out of the 193. Right. That's my point. And, and that's... But your point is... But my point is Palestine, is, Palestine is, not even, is not even part of the equation. Okay. So maybe those 28 countries are saying, well, we're not going to recognize them as long as there's no Palestine state. And let's just go back in history. When the United Nations, I mean, even going be, before that, this land in the 1800s up until 1890 was 100% Arab. Uh, that included Arab Muslims, Arab Christians, and Arab Jews. 
they're called Mizrahi Jews. There are Jewish people that are Arab. The Ashkenazi Jews, the white Jews that came from Europe, that immigration is what started the problem. Europe had a problem of anti-Semitism, horrific anti-Semitism that led up to the uh, tragedy of the Holocaust. No one can deny it. We saw what white Europeans did to the Jews in Europe. But instead of owning up to the problem, they decided we're going to export all these uh, European Jews. And they agreed with the Zionist plan to have a home, a, you know, that the Jewish world or Jewish community, Jewish people need to have their own country. And they decided to send them to Palestine. So... That land was already occupied and inhibited by people for centuries that were Arab. They were Arab uh, Muslims, they were Arab Christians, and Arab Jews. So the problem is not, do Jews belong there? No. These uh, Europeans, uh, settlers that came to a land that doesn't belong to them and were forced on the population, and that's where the problem started. All right, Jonathan, jump in there on rebuttal. No, I, I would say this. I think as soon as you start trying to figure out whose DNA belongs in what area or what property or where that is, it's, it's problematic. There's been movements even before World War II with people moving back to Israel and creating a, a Jewish homeland. And when I say Jewish homeland, that doesn't mean it's at the absolute exclusion of, of anybody else. But there seems to be this sort of idea that, you know, you have to be from a certain race, you have to be a certain color, you have to be a certain type of person to be in Israel. And if you look at Israel and you go back in the history of Israel, you know, the Jews came from, from Israel and there's been a movement coming back is where do you have a safe place to be? Where do you have a safe place to go? And you go back in history, there's been movements there from all periods of time. So this idea that it's some kind of European invasion by forced Jews out of Europe into Israel, I think it's just sort of a misconception, one, of history, but it's also a misconception of who can live who can live where this idea that you know if you have to be only be arab to live here you can only be european to live there i think sometimes just misses you know what is the world and how does the world work and how do people move over centuries and millenniums and you you if you want to look at it as sort of some kind of race issue i think you do wind up potentially in a, in, in in problems along those lines but the point is look you've had jews and arabs and christians living in in israel for periods of time there's been a continual existence of of jews in israel since you know the biblical times that doesn't mean that other people don't live there also. And I think even when you go to 1948, there was a recognition of how do I get different people to live in, in the Middle East and then live in, you know, Arab, you know, what would be Israel and certain Arab countries and what was uh, even known as Palestine. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's jump to, you know, I thought it was good to, to hit a little bit of history. There's probably people out there that don't know it as well as YouTube, but um, let's jump to, uh, to Gaza. Um, you know, Gaza is a surprisingly tiny area, um, 37 miles long, approximately six miles wide, uh, same square number of miles as our city of St. Petersburg across the bay. However, it's got two million residents and, and therefore is one of the most densely populated regions in the world. Uh, Jonathan, um, there are many folks out there, including many liberal Jews around the world and in the Tampa Bay area, that's been highly critical of Israel's relatively heavy-handed approach to Gaza and the people of Gaza. Over the last 15 years, uh, Israel has restricted the movements of people and goods in and out of Gaza. 
And in 2015, Jimmy Carter, former president, traveled to the region and described life in Gaza as, quote, intolerable, where people cannot live with the dignity and respect that they deserve. Jonathan, how do you and, and your organizations respond to this criticism? And isn't that treatment of any human beings in that way contrary to Jewish principles in the writings of the Old Testament? You know, I think your questions there. But no, no. I, I mean, let, let me let me address it the the, the 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 best way I can address. It. You know, Israel pulled out of Gaza in two thousand and seven and said, you know, look, let's have the level of Palestinian self determination, even though there were certain aspects to it that weren't just absolutely unequivocally free self determination, but it was here is an area. Let's deal with an election. Let's deal with self government. Let's let the Palestinians, in essence, govern the Palestinians. And I want to be clear, it wasn't just an absolutely, here you go. There were other aspects that were to that. And you wound up having a government that was elected, you know, that was was Hamas. And if you go to the Hamas charter and you look at it and you try to determine what does Hamas stands for, stand for, one of the things Hamas stands for is the absolute unequivocal destruction of the state of Israel. And that becomes problematic and that becomes a security concern. And you've had a number of Israelis and you have the Israeli government of concerns over what type of security threat does Gaza become to Israel. And as soon as you start measuring security threats and security concerns, right to absolute self-determination, if it leads to the destruction of your own people, winds up having counter uh, actions that are, you know, that are taking. And, and that's where the problem arises, meaning at what level do you have absolute self-determination? At what level do you have people thrive in the way they want to thrive? And at what level do you have to present missiles being shot over or people being killed, you know, that I think it was Ariel Sharon that said, you know, you know, if there was no terrorism there, there would be no wall. But I don't think anybody argues the opposite, and that is if there was no wall, would you think there would still be terrorism? These are the issues that we're dealing with, and I want to be absolutely clear. That is not every Palestinian. That is not every Muslim. That is, for whatever it is, the, the, the leadership and, the, and a certain level or arm of Hamas and the military wing, and then there's issues of how much the political wing is So in, is a, nutshell, in a nutshell, you're saying that the, the security concerns justify, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, you correct me if I'm wrong, but justify the the harsh treatment and, and restrictions that have been imposed for 15, 16 years? You, in essence, yes. You can, you know, if, if there was no security threat from Gaza into Israel, you would see a substantially different lifestyle in Gaza, substantially different lifestyle in Israel, and a substantially different border. But when you're worried about people getting killed, and you've seen this just recently, you know, what the threat is that people have been talking about if you don't have a border, if you don't have a militarized area, if you don't have different, uh, you know, uh, embargoes or things like that, what, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Well, you're seeing what the worst is, you know, on October 7th. And again, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean people don't sympathize, people don't care about the people in Gaza. It's an awfully, awfully difficult position to, uh, you know, to try to weigh on, on, on a number of different levels. Okay. But security is a massive, massive and real issue. Uh, I'm at yeah, hopefully you'll give me uh, no, no, equal no, I'm trying, time. I'm it's, trying to go. I'm, trying, so, I'm looking at my clock. So, um, 
you know, listening to what Jonathan is saying, you know, it, it's it's much different. You don't feel a lot of sympathy right now when you see the bombardment and the carpet bombing of Gaza and the killing, indiscriminate killing of thousands of people. Half of them are children. But I want to, I want to, so, I'm still in the history. Of my right, right. So I'm just saying, yeah. just yeah, as that. We're going to get to that. But how did Gaza end up Gaza? How is it that it's the most densely populated area, 2.3 million people in the size of something like St. Petersburg, which is a small, narrow area, five miles by 25 miles. Those people were not born. Many of them are not from Gaza. They're from all over uh, historical Palestine. And when uh, this uh, you know, immigration of uh, European Jews came to Palestine, and friction started happening, and it was under the occupation of the British. The British were helping uh, relocate uh, Jew Jewish communities from Europe to Palestine. It started becoming a problem. Then they washed their hands of it and turned over to the United Nations. The United Nations then was not the same United Nations today. It only had 55 member states, and only 25 of them actually voted for this partition. They basically, basically decided to divide up. The, the land called Palestine, there was no land called Israel, it was called Palestine. They divided it and they gave the minority, they gave, uh, they gave them most of the land. They gave 55% of the land to the Jewish community, which made up something like, I don't know, 15, 20% of the population. And 80% of the population, they gave them 45%. So imagine somebody comes to your home and says, hey, this is no longer your home. You're going to have to move and force to be moved. People, the Arabs rejected it. There was a war that happened and there was an exodus. It was called the Nakba. Uh, in English, it's called the catastrophe. 800,000 Arab Palestinians, Christians and Muslims were pushed out of their uh, villages and their homes and they were forced into these refugee camps. One of them ended up being Gaza. So now you have, uh, you know, grandchildren of the people that were kicked out of their homes in 1948 are now in Gaza and now they're still going through the same thing. And not only that, in 1967, Israel went further by actually taking all the land of historical Palestine, even the land that the United Nations partitioned for the Palestinians. They took it, they occupied it. In addition, they took the Golan Heights, which belonged to Syria. They took the Sinai that belonged to Egypt and said, you know, this is all ours. And they occupied that land. And this is part of what many people call the project called the Greater Israel Project, to expand their footprint in that land. And that's all that it's about, that land. So now well, you have all jo Jonathan sort of justified it on the basis of security concerns. Were, but, you know, so, so do you think Israel would have done that but for security concerns? This was a preemptive thing. Pushing uh, 800,000 people out of their villages, that's not a security concern. That's just a land theft and land grab. I don't know. None of us were there in 48. Well, but I, yeah. the history books say it. Yeah. Even the Israeli historians, even the founders of Israel themselves, Ben Gurion and others, they said those words. Go back and read what they've said, that what their intention was all along. So you don't have to be there. You know, I wasn't there when the Oklahoma City bombing happened, but I read the reports. And the, That's fair uh, enough. So, uh, you know, the same thing can apply to many things, including 9-11. You know, we weren't there, but we know what happened. So going back to the... If, if you do that to a people and put them in these refugee camps and deny them the right to return to their home, that's not going to build goodwill. And then as an occupier, and the United Nations themselves calls it an occupation, people who are occupied are allowed to resist. It would be like blaming the, the Jews of Poland that rose up in the Warsaw, Warsaw ghetto uh, uprising 
and say, oh, you're going to blame them and not the, uh, instead of the German Nazis? No. They had every right to rise up because what the Nazis were doing to them. So when you're under occupation, you have a right to resist. And then not only that, so just finally about Gaza to end with this, because he said somehow that the Israeli government under Ariel Sharon withdrew from Gaza and let them, you know, right to self-determination. They had illegal settlements, even in Gaza, of Jewish-only settlements. Basically, these are fancy compounds, gated communities where only Jews can live inside inside of Gaza. It became too difficult to protect those with the Israeli army. So Ariel Sharon and the, the Israeli government pulled everyone out and basically erected a huge walls and fences all around the Gaza Strip, turning it into the largest, in the words of Jimmy Carter, the largest open air prison. Other people descri describe it as a concentration camp. No one can exit, no one can enter, no one can even leave by sea. Nothing can get in or out except under extreme exceptions. And then they said, well, you have the right to self-determination. Oh, you failed. Well, if you were locked up with two million people and you can't even get enough food or enough water and enough, enough electricity and the occupiers are sitting, basically, you know, the prison guards are sitting outside the prison guard and you say, well, you better be peaceful. You better not act up. And if you act up and throw rocks or do anything else, oh, you're a terrorist, let's carpet bomb you. It doesn't justify targeting any civilians, but you can understand how people are not going to be friendly to the Israeli occupiers and the Israeli military. So in a second, we're going to jump to the question of whether or not that justifies what happened October 7th. But before we get to you, back to you, Jonathan, I want to give us a little station identification and tell who you are. For those of you who just tuned in, uh, you're listening to WMNF 88.5 on your dial, WMNF.org on your computer. Uh, we are having a very good conversation between uh, two gentlemen about the uh, the crisis in uh, Gaza, Middle East, Israel. Uh, Ahmed Bader uh, on the on the Arab American side, and Jonathan Ellis uh, here on the Jewish American side. Gentlemen, we appreciate your intellect because I think that's what we're hearing today. Uh, Ahmed, you just had the last word, so uh, Jonathan, jump in with rebuttal, and then we're going to move on into October seventh. No, sure. I mean, I think you talk about, you know, Gaza, and I think the question, you know, we go into the history of the establishment of, of, of these items. But if you look at it, Israel has always been under threat. It has always had real and legitimate uh, security concerns. And what do you do with an area that you turn over and you sort of give the key to a group of Palestinians, two million, and say, hey, look, you know, this is your area to, to, to govern at this point. And the stated mission of the government that's been elected by them is not only do we want to govern ourselves, but our real mission is to destroy Israel. And you can look at the Hamas charter. It is in there. That's what that government is there for. That's what that government is, intends to do. And you have millions. You have hundreds of millions. You have billions of dollars going into Gaza. So when you look at the population of Gaza and you say, my God, how is this arising? You know, you can use the money to build a tunnel network for terrorism purposes, or you could build a subway. You could use that money to build schools and to build commercial areas and to build a, go, you know, an Where, economic where's the money, system. Where's the money coming the from? The money is coming from a number of places. It's coming from the UN. 
you know, I think even the United States puts money in. You have European nations that provide money. You have phenomenal amounts of money that come in from the Arab nations. And you wind up having just money flowing in. And what is it being used for? It's being used for rockets. It's being used to create a military, not with a goal of necessarily governing its own people, but of how do we terrorize and how do we try to, you know, uh, you know fight Israel. If the answer was... We want to make the land of Gaza the best we can make for ourselves. There could be a lot that could be done, and you would have a very different Gaza today. All right, and, you, you struck okay. a nerve uh, with, with Ahmed. Well, and I just wanted gonna, to mention about this. We're going to move forward to where we are today. Right, Hamas, before Hamas showed up, Hamas hasn't been there from the beginning. I think they're, you know, they started in the 80s. Um, before that, it was something called the PLO, Palestine Liberation Organization, led by a guy, um, leader named Yasser Arafat. The, Israel did not want to work with Arafat, did not want to negotiate, and at the beginning actually supported Hamas and Hamas being an alternate to uh, the PLO to be able to play, you know, two groups against each other. So at the beginning, the Israeli government, you can look it up yourself and people can Google it, uh, Israel support for Hamas. They actually, in a way, propped them up because they thought that it was a, a Muslim ideology that can counter the secular nature of the PLO and the PLO at the time was carrying out some attacks and uh, they were the you know enemy of uh, Israel. But when, when Jonathan says that they gave the key, turned over the key to these two million people, uh, you, they built a prison. They built walls. They did not give anyone any key. No one can exit. No, most of the people, almost all those people in Gaza, have not left in 17 years. They cannot go ex except under extreme situations. Why are they building tunnels? Because the, they're 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 in a prison. They're building tunnels so they can you know uh, smuggle food. So they can smuggle. You, there are images where they're smuggling animals, cows and goats through the tunnel from Egypt. So in order to have meat. Um, as far as building things, it's amazing that they even have hospitals and buildings and apartment buildings right now because most of the time they don't even allow cement, cement into Gaza because, meaning when I say they don't allow, meaning the Israelis, because they control all the borders from all sides. So as, uh, I, as I opened the show, I said, uh, you guys see a set of facts and a, and a set of conditions from two different perspectives. It reminds think, me of I think that's what we're hearing. Yeah, it reminds me of the spokesperson of Trump. What was her name that says there are alternate facts? It's like we're seeing there are two. Th there, there are oh, some yeah. things are undeniable, but Jonathan sees them completely different than I do, yeah. and it's just surprising. I do see it sometimes on television. I'm saying like, how are they saying this stuff? But then you know, Jonathan, who I do, I jump in, Jonathan. Yeah. I, no, I, 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 I would understand. say this. You know. You, you look at Gaza. There are mall, shopping malls in Gaza. You can look at the buildings that built in Gaza. But he was just you saying they weren't building the, anything. The They're only building rockets. aspect of, 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 of these Sorry. things. You can watch the area. You can look at the pictures you're seeing. You know, this idea that it's some kind of people living in tents or refugee camp for four or five generations is just sort of a, a misplacement. Sometimes you have to look in the mirror and say, how do we wind up here? Okay, we, and how do we wind up here is where we're going. Okay. On October 7th, the Sabbath day, um, two weeks ago, Hamas led what many have described as a brutal, vicious attack on Israeli civ civilians, killing approximately 1,200 men, women, and children, and taking more than 100 hostages back into Gaza, including toddlers. Um, Ahmad, what is, what is your opinion about this recent attack by Hamas? 
I think it's horrific to target civilians, obviously. Um, as you know, as you said earlier, I wasn't there, but there are a lot of, uh, what do you call it, uh, conflicting reports about what happened. We heard a lot of disinformation at first that angered so many people about 40 beheaded babies. It's now been debunked, even though it was in the news for five days. Even President Biden repeated it. In, at the White House saying that he's seen the pictures. But you'll agree that any... Any attack on any civilian, uh, men, women, and children, is unacceptable. It's something that I do not condone. However, um, I mean, there's no however, but do we understand what happened? Is there a, There's no justification, but uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a matter of time. When these people are just locked up for 17 years... And now they're basically with very little resources, very little food, and there's no end in sight. And they're just basically dying a slow death, dying a slow death. And the world is forgetting about them. And in the meantime, Israel just picks them off and, you know, bombs them whenever they want. In the past, since, they, since Israel pulled out of Gaza, they've launched five different wars. This is not the first time. And, you know, I, I put a list of him. There's so many. Who's, who's they? The Israelis attacked Gaza. The Israeli Defense Forces. This is not the first time. They've attacked five different times. It's a practice that they call mowing the lawn. This is in the words of the Israeli defense officials that retired. They go in and mow the lawn every now and then, meaning they destroy infrastructure. They kill people in order to keep, um, you know, I, Gaza I, I from... Think we'll, I think we'll all agree that there have been five wars or big battles or, or skirmishes, that sort of thing. I don't want to get into that history right this second in terms of, because we don't have a lot of time. I mean, well, it's just important in as a context. Of, I'm just going to... In gonna, terms of who started it. Or I'm not talking about who started John's it. going to say that... I'm not talking about who started, started it. it. I'm just saying that in 2009, there was Operation Castled in uh, 2012, Operation Pillar Defense. In 2014, Operation Protective Edge. In uh, 2021, Operation Guarding the Wall. And thousands of Palestinians have been killed in those, including many children. So when you say, you know, there was this attack that happened, horrific attack that happened on October 7th, um, what about... It didn't start then. There were five other attacks on Gaza where thousands of Palestinians were killed and there was not this outcry or outrage. Uh, it's upsetting to see any civilian death. It's not justified. But there's a lot of disinformation about. So this whole issue of beheading children, uh, babies, it's not true. It's already been debunked. The raping of women, the L.A. Times uh, apologized for posting it because there's no confirmation of it. Uh, there were hostages taken that were abducted, that were taken to Gaza, uh, innocent civilians. And if you care about those civilians, you wouldn't be carpet bombing okay. repeatedly right. as they are now. John, Jonathan, I want you to rebut, and, but I'm, I'm also, I'm also going to throw this question in real quick. Rebut first and then throw this question in. Israel's response up until today, two weeks later, has been to launch thousands of missiles, killing thousands of Palestinian civilians, including hundreds of children, now Israel's decided to cut off humanitarian supplies of water, food, and fuel to those two million people, many of which you admitted a few minutes ago are not Hamas participants, and they've threatened to continue this embargo until all the Israeli hostages have been returned. Go ahead and rebut what, what Ahmed no, said and then respond Sure. I, I mean, I think the, the, the answer is there was a, an initial indication that there, there were beheadings. But this idea whether – and I think there have, been there have been decapitations there – uh, in in that area, and I think the Israelis even indicate, and they have had pictures, and I think the president and 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 higher up officials have, have seen those. The 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 difference that you wind up having is that when Israel winds up 
going in in a defensive mission into Gaza, it winds up trying and, ha you know, its aspect is how do you remove the threat? You know, now there's civilian casualties that happen as Israel tries to remove the threat to its safety. But that's substantially different than a mission not to remove a threat, but to kill a mother and a baby. You know, you wind up having infants being shot at point-blank range, children shot in front of their parents, and parents shot in front of their children. And so other in law, we speak about intent. And Ahmed, you can rebut this. I, would, I think what you're saying is the intent when, on October 7th was clear to attack civilians. Yeah. You're it, saying that the intent of Israel wasn't necessarily me, to attack yeah, civilians, let me, let me go but back. the collateral damage, no. which is no. obvious over many years, yeah. is let that me, civilians get killed. Let me respond to that. So you wind up having a intent, goal. What was the goal? Kill people, kill civilians. Uh, I disagree kill, with that goal. Uh, let right. me finish. Right. Kill Israelis. How else do you go to some type of music festival <clears throat> and just mow people down like that? Or wind up in a kibbutz, in a peaceful kibbutz, and kill families, grandparents, parents, children. Now, the difference that you wind up having with Israel is the goal when you deal with these bombings is not to kill Palestinian civilians. And in fact, Israel, probably more than any nation on earth, takes precautions not to kill civilians. But at this point, the stated mission is how do you eradicate Hamas? How do you not let that happen? And when you have Hamas that builds its headquarters under a hospital, not the hospital at issue recently, when you wind up having command and control centers in civilian areas, when you launch missiles next to kindergartens, when you wind up storing munitions in mosques, transporting troops in missions and ambulances, and then you say, hey, wait a minute, you're killing civilians, you got to ask yourself, the target is Hamas. If you want to strike back at Hamas, if you need to eradicate Hamas, Hamas has shielded itself with civilians. When Israel says you need to clear out of an area, Hamas says don't. Mm -hmm. Stay in those buildings. But how about, Don't how about, leave. How about this issue of cutting off humanitarian supplies of water, food, and fuel <laughs> to all the residents of Gaza? And isn't that inconsistent with Jewish doctrine? When you're dealing, first thing, I'm not sure people yet are starving to death. Oh, they're in, starving. In, let me finish. In, in, in Gaza. And how do you prevent these types of aids going directly to Hamas? And how do you not have a release of the actual hostages in, you know, in, in advance. But the answer is, I think Israel is given the okay now to go through the Egyptian border with aid. And I think the issue is right now, something between the Egyptians who are just moving the uh, blocks and the cement uh, barriers that they've, they've placed there. But the answer is that Israel's going into a ground war to eradicate Hamas. And part of that is to beginning to cut off the supplies, the electricity, the fuel of what you're going to need to go into the north and what you're going to have is tough ground-to-ground -ground combat after aerial combat to remove Hamas. Right, and there, will, there will be, I want to say this, there will be casualties of civilians. And I got to tell you, no one supports civilian casualties, but you can't surround yourself with civilians, shriek there shouldn't be civilian casualties after the goal that you just did was kill civilians. Okay. But go ahead. I'm over my time. No, I that's all right. Go ahead. I'm at I, I think, you know, to say that these uh, Palestinians are just bloodthirsty people, they just want to kill as many Jews as possible, that is just propaganda. Um, even 
I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not a spokesperson for Hamas. I don't represent them. But I'm saying as far as what they stated their goals were, they were trying to end the occupation and lift the siege on their uh, Gaza enclave and to stop the constant attacks on Muslims in the third holiest site, which is called Al-Aqsa, um, that's happening there. So they had some stated goals. They didn't say, oh, we're going in there to just kill as many Jews as possible. They had some goals. I think their goal was to abduct as many people to be able to use it as leverage. It's wrong. It's wrong. But Israel also does that. It's not about what it, What about. Israel does the exact same thing. They're currently holding 5,000 prisoners that they've abducted, including 260 children in Israeli prisons without any charges. Israel does the same thing. So Hamas is playing by the same rules that Israel's been playing. Um, and even though our faith says do not attack and do not target civilians and non-combatants, as far as the music festival, there's a lot of conflicting information how that happened. Um, many of them were rushing out and they ended up in the crossfire between the Israeli army that's shooting at Hamas and Hamas shooting at them. And that's how that happened. Many analysts are saying that that was the result. It, they were not. They're trying to grab as many people to be able to use it as leverage later. And I think, in, you know, things got a, out of control. But as far as trying to minimize uh, civilian casualties, I'm just going to read to you the words of their leaders. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu just tweeted on October 16th thing. This is a struggle between the children of light and the children of darkness, between humanity and the law of the jungle. The Israeli defense minister says these are human animals. That's how he's, he's not talking about Hamas. He's talking about all of Palestinians. The president of Israel, who was just invited to, to give a joint, you know, to give a speech in Congress, he said there are no, there are no civilians in Gaza. These are not the words of some, uh, you know, some terrorist organization. This is the word of Israel, which is supposed to be a democracy. Um, and not only to mention the religious, uh, the uh, politi political leaders in our country. Lindsey Graham saying, we are in a religious war. Quote, he told us to Fox News, we're in a religious war. I'm with Israel. Do whatever the hell you have to do to defend yourself. Level the place. What does level the place mean? Our politicians here in America, on the right and the left, sadly, are giving a green light to Israel to commit war crimes and genocide and ethnic cleansing. The goal now, the stated goal of many military officials from Israel is that they want to not only eradicate Hamas, but shrink Gaza. They want to make that footprint in half. That's why they're moving them from the north to the south. They gave orders, evacuate. They sent... So they want to at the end. Okay, at the end they want to have a smaller Gaza with less people, and they want to push those people into the Sinai so that it's somebody else's problem. It's that's what's the definition of ethnic cleansing to remove people from their land into a different land. All right, Jonathan, you've been chomping at the bit. Sure, you can just rebut that, and then we only have about seven minutes left, and I've got one more important question. So I say this: all you need to do is look at the pictures. This was an issue of how do we kill. Civilians And this idea that in a music festival people were in some type of crossfire. No, it was designed to kill, you know, kill people at a music festival. Why do you go into a kibbutz and shoot an infant? How do you take a toddler and a baby hostage? That's what this is about. And the problem you have is you do have in Gaza 
a culture of death that's being taught to their students. You have this idea that there you have can. to kill the Zionist. You have to take back the country. This is what's being taught, and you've been there now since 2007, and what you're seeing is children that have been grown up and been fed this type of information. How do you get 1,500, 2,000 people to go into an area with the goal of slaughtering innocent civilians if you haven't laid the groundwork over a period of years to do it. This isn't one person. This isn't five people. This isn't 15. This is a governmental movement of Gaza that has been training people since they were young, and you're seeing the manifestation of it on October 7th, and you even have people like Ahmad saying, you just can't do this. But somehow, this was trained, if you listen to Gaza, it's been trained for two years. That was the goal. Yep. And now you've got to eradicate it, and now you're going to have problems. And I, I, don't, I, I, don't think, I don't think that Hamas needs to teach people uh, anything. They get the training already from the Israeli Defense Forces of how they mistreat and humiliate and subjugate and oppress Palestinians on a daily basis. You can't expect those people to turn around and say, oh, we love you and we're not going to harm you. Keep, keep bombing us. Keep killing us. Uh, one last thing that I just want to mention. Right now, there's 50,000, more than 50,000 pregnant women in Gaza. They have nowhere to deliver. 5,000, 5,500 are expected to deliver this month. There are no hospitals. There's no place to actually. Women are delivering in the streets. We have there's it, no water. So we, we agree. We all agree. We've got a humanitarian crisis. Yeah. In, I, don't in, hear, I don't hear Jonathan in, saying in that. The making. I'm sure Jonathan I, would I, agree. I hear him saying that Gaza has a culture of death. Okay. No, no, no. It's a humanitarian. This. It's well, a you, humanitarian crisis in Gaza. So uh, let me be right, unequivocally we're, we're clear on that. that. All right. So what I, one thing I'm personally surprised about was when this attack was planned, it was clearly well-planned for October 7th, um, the leaders of Hamas had to have known that Israel was going to strike back like this. So in some ways, you know, haven't they uh, sort of exacerbated this problem for their own citizens? But I'm not—I don't want to even an answer to that. I'm just throwing that out oh, there because—no, no, no, because okay. what I want to go to, because we got— four minutes or so, is, is gents, I've known both of you for many years. You're both intelligent, reasonable men who I'm sure would like nothing better to see peace in that region. Yes, I want to see both agree, peace. right? I agree. Okay. And I so wait, see, wait, wait, wait. But I want to see a ceasefire. Cease okay, well, you're going to get a chance to answer because you got about a minute and a half each. Okay. If you alone had all the power in the world at your little fingertips, mm. okay, you had the crystal ball, you had the power, what would you personally think is the solution to bring about lasting peace. Jonathan, I'm going to start with you. Ahmed, you're going to finish. I, I, I think it's multiple fold. One, I think you have to have a change in the leadership of the uh, Palestinian community where it's not a desire to eradicate Israel. And then you wind up having a two-state solution. That's the, the fundamental aspect. So you're comfortable with the two-state solution? Comfortable with the two-state solution. I'm comfortable that if there weren't security threats that there were there, that you would wind up having a much better situation. Look at, the, for instance, now the borders between Israel and Jordan, Israel and Egypt. If I would have said to you back in 1970, do you think those borders would be what they are today? You would say no, but the reason is those countries are not a security threat to Israel. But when you wind up having an area that the whole goal is to eradicate Israel, okay, it's I'm a at, different issue. 
Yeah, I don't think they're holding. Imagine crystal ball. <clears throat> you got okay. the you got the power to create peace. What do you do? Well, that would be a lot of power, but um, do, I don't think do do? I don't think the Palestinians' goal is to eradicate uh, Israelis or Jews. I know. I, think I know. To, you had your rebuttal, but, but I want to know. Right. You, you want peace? My, what I, would you do? I would say there has to there has to be a ceasefire now. In the long term, they have to coexist and have equal rights, Palestinians and Jews, and share the land. Right now, that's not the case. The Israeli government, since 1948, has been using the excuse of two-state solution only to grab more land. They're continuing to build settlements right now in the West Bank on Palestinian land, making, making the two-state solution basically dead. It's, it's not possible anymore because they're you know, living amongst each other everywhere. Just like how in the United States we have people of all religions, all backgrounds, all colors, coexisting and living together under the same rules, same law, not one law for the white people, different law for the Jewish people. That's what's happening, uh, white people and the black people, but that's what's happening in Israel. They have apartheid now. There's one rule for the Jewish people, a superior, better law, and then for the Arabs and everyone else, it's a different law. That's unacceptable. That's a called apartheid. Equal rights for both Palestinians and for Jews come up with a new country in the same place and live together. But the Israelis are afraid of that because of the demographic shift. They feel like the Palestinians are having more babies and they have to eradicate and push more of them out. Otherwise, they'll be voted out of power. And that's why in their charter right now, it says that Israel is a Jewish only state. Yeah, Arabs can live there, but it's... The Arabs for the get to vote. The ones they are can, but however, yeah. however, it's a Jewish only state. It's part of their charter that it could never change its, um, I guess... Uh, it's kind of it's, you know, it's like it's makeup. It's, it's called like, the basics. It's, the like basic calling, it's like calling Saudi Arabia claiming it's it's, it's a Muslim state. Oh, so the is Saudi Arabia is, now the example for the fact, you? Right? No, let me, let me just go with the example. The, 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 or the real Iran, maybe. The, it's more like you're Iran. You're, inter you're interrupting me for a minute, but we've done I, good up no. until now. No, I, I think the answer when you're when when you're you're looking at this, there has to be an ability to live side by side without the destruction. I will say calling Israel an apartheid state is really an insult to, any, to, 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 any, to anybody who lived in apartheid South Africa because it's a misunderstanding. Guess what? Oh, let me finish. South let me finish. Africa it's is what? saying the same no, thing. South Africa is on the side of the Palestinians. No, it's, 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 an insult. it's an insult. You told me I was going to have the it's, last word. It's an absolute <laughs> insult to any black so South African who has ever lived right. under apartheid. The South Africans Africa. are calling it apartheid, by the way. And what's happening there, we have to have a ceasefire now. Enough people have been killed. Enough people have been killed. Enough hospitals have been bombed. Have a ceasefire now. Provide the water and electricity for the people and start negotiating. There's not going to be a violent way to solve this. It's going to have to be diplomacy. And right now, Israel is refusing to do a ceasefire. And unfortunately, the White House is refusing to back them up. So Jonathan, I would urge people to call the White House and tell them, demand a ceasefire now. Jonathan, uh, are the troops going to roll across the Gaza border? I don't think they're going to roll, but I do think they're going to enter. I think the answer is, is after the you have an eradication of Hamas, then you can have After they fire. flatten the northern but, part but, but and there's no point, one left, right, they'll but, walk in. Yeah. All right, we are out of time, and I so appreciate you being there. I'm Ed Vadir, Jonathan Ellis. You guys have done great. You've been very polite. You've given us your intelligent comments uh, here on Down and Dirty at WMNF, and we, uh, we appreciate it. Uh, we're coming next week to The Skinny with Mitch Perry and his motley crew over there. And please, uh, we can please, continue over there with this. Please Mitch. listen yeah. to them. We are out. <laughs> <laughs>